The Stoic Jew podcast content for the month of May has been made possible by Dan Horowitz, who has graciously taken up my experimental request for an accountability sponsorship in hopes that this will result in more Stoic Jew content. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Seneca's letter number 18 on festivals and fasting. Uh, and today is Tisha B'Av. I'm recording this at around 1.35 on, uh, on Sunday, July 18th, uh, Tisha B'Av 5781. And um, I don't know, I did not plan to record an episode today, but uh, there were some thoughts swirling around in my mind, and I wanted to try to get them uh, onto podcast form uh, just to... I don't know, to develop them and explore them a little bit. So I apologize if this is a little scattered. Uh, these are musings, not a complete idea. So I went back to this letter of Seneca because I believe on Asara Batavis this year, I did a two-part I did two episodes on this letter uh, because this is, I wanted to contrast the Stoic view uh, and approach to fasting with the Jewish view. And I believe, well, let me read from the excerpt and then we'll uh, we'll see where this goes. So this is a, an, an excerpt from the letter, not the whole letter. It is precisely in times of immunity from care that the soul should toughen itself beforehand for occasions of greater stress. And it is while fortune is kind that it should fortify itself against her violence. In days of peace, the soldier performs maneuvers, throws up earthworks with no enemy in sight, and wearies himself by gratuitous toil in order that he may be equal to unavoidable toil. If you would not have a man flinch when the crisis comes, train him before it comes. Such is the course with those which those men have followed, who, in their imitation of poverty, have every month come almost to want, that they might never recoil from what they had so often rehearsed. You need not suppose that I mean meals like Timon's or pauper's huts or any other device which luxurious millionaires use to beguile the tedium of their lives. Let the palate be a real one, and the coarse cloak... And the coarse cloak, let the bread be hard and grimy. Endure all this for three or four days at a time, sometimes for more, so that it may be a test of yourself instead of a mere hobby. Then, I assure you, my dear Lucilius, you will leap for joy when filled with a penny worth of food, and you will understand that a man's peace of mind does not depend upon fortune, for even when angry, she grants enough for our needs. So this is, uh, this is the Stoic approach to fasting, according to Seneca. And it is often called by the name uh, premeditatio malorum, which means the premeditation of evils. Uh, and really, there's two things here. There's the premeditation of evils as a uh, mental exercise, which is you think about the bad that could happen before it happens so that you prepare yourself for it, so that when it comes, then you're not surprised. And then the practice uh, the practice of premeditatio malorum is putting yourself into situations of suffering and lack um, so that you become, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, I don't want to say like habituated or, or or inured to them, but um, to allow yourself to experience those things uh, when they're artificially imposed um, so that you can get to know what it's like to live, to be in those states. And then when the actual thing comes, then you are better prepared for it. Um, so that's the idea of fasting or, or using, you know, having a diet of meager food, like he's describing here, uh, that you put yourself on that diet and you, you fast or you starve so that if you do actually fast, uh, face starvation in the future, then you'll, uh, you'll have already, uh, worked through a lot of the, the emotions and the thoughts that come with it. And it won't come as a surprise. And, uh, and it won't, uh, like you said, if you would not have a man flinch when the crisis comes, train him before it comes. So I was thinking about that. And I think in my last episode, I talked about how it's interesting that in the Senate, in the stoic view of, of fasting, then it's really more about, about using fasting as a means of, 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 
perfecting your own mind and emotions. Whereas in Judaism, uh, then it, it, it is about that. It does have to do with tshuva, but it's also geared towards promoting uh, acts of justice, you know, feeding the poor uh, and realizing what it is like to be hungry and being moved to, to, to help alleviate other people's hunger. Anyway, you can listen to that episode in the show notes. Uh, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But then I was thinking about this. I, was, I gave a shear this morning, which unfortunately was not recorded uh, in my shul. And one of the points we made in the shear was that um, you know, we are living in a time right now where, thank God, the Jews, <laughs> we Jews are not subject to the types of horrors that have happened throughout history. I mean, uh, you know, take the Holocaust. I doubt that it's possible that nobody or very, very few people who are even listening to this have gone through anything of that scope. Uh, and, uh, and we should count ourselves as, uh, you know, we should be grateful for that. However, um, if we were to not learn from those those catastrophes, uh, then we are going to be very ill prepared when they come upon us in the future. So by thinking about these things and by putting ourselves into an uh, artificially induced state of trauma, which I wrote about in my article, the induction of metaphysical trauma and the 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 sequel, the necessity of metaphysical trauma for national tshuva, by putting ourselves in these states of trauma uh, on these fast days, then we prepare ourselves for uh, for we, we we do two things. We prepare. We 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 vicariously reap, attempt to vicariously reap the benefits of the tshuva that comes from those experiences. But we also prepare ourselves for the future, realizing that these things can happen to us, uh, and we shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking that they can't. Uh, and by by facing that fact, and by it it punctures this bubble of like immunity that we feel that we have that that no nothing like this could ever happen in, in our lifetime. And I do think that. Many of us feel, I mean, I certainly feel this way, that you, you, you know, you read and you watch movies about the Holocaust and you think to yourself, if in, in the back of your mind, like, this can never happen to me. But it really could. I mean, it, this could happen in any generation. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and the more we recognize that, then the better prepared we will be uh, to face it if we do have to face it. So that's one implementation of premeditatio malorum to the institution of national fast days is it prepares us to think about the the bad things that can happen to us okay so from here i i uh, one of the things i focused on in the shir was on echa in echa chapter three there are three psukim here it, really the the context is a little bit larger than what i'm about to read uh echa 338 through 40 um from the mouth of the the most high do not come the evils and the good Ma'is onin Adam Chai, on what should a living man mourn? Gever Achataav, a man over his sins. Ad Hashem. Let us analyze our ways and investigate, and re- and let us return to Hashem. So on the surface, that first puzzle is a little uh, <laughs> heretical or blasphemous, saying that good and bad don't come from Hashem. So the question is, what does that mean? So, um, oh, hold on, just one second. I'm realizing I, I omitted a step here. Let me just think for one second. Oh yeah. Oh, so I realize. Okay, let me, let me take a step back. Hold those pesukim in your mind for one second. So, when I was thinking about the Seneca, and I was thinking about premeditatio malorum, you know, premeditation of evils, and he's talking about evil here in, in his example being starvation and poverty. I was thinking to myself, you know, that's not what evils are according to the Stoics, right? I mean, we've we've focused on this a lot lately in Marcus Aurelius. You know, one of Marcus Aurelius's recurring themes is the idea that let me just read you a couple uh, uh, excerpts. So this is from. Four eight. What does not make a man worse than he was, neither makes his life worse than it was, nor hurts him without or within. Or in two eleven. 
how could what does not make a man worse make his life worse? Or 722, uh, he did you no harm, for he did not make your governing self worse than it was before. So according to Marcus Aurelius and according to the Stoics in general, and I think even Seneca would agree, agree with this, is that true good and bad have nothing to do with externals that are outside of your control. True good and bad have to do with how you use your, your free will, right? By making good decisions and making bad decisions, and no one can really impose that on you. So so it is... Um, so it is, you know, the, the, the only source of good and bad is really yourself. Uh, and so premeditatio malorum as applied to starvation and poverty is really a misnomer because it's not really malorum. It's not really bad. Uh, it's, it's not preferable, but it's not true evil. Uh, true evil is really how you use your free will. And in fact, that's what led me to these pesukim in Eicha. So what does it mean that from the mouth of the on high, uh, of, of the most high do not come the, the bads and the goods? So the Mahari Kra and also Rashi, uh, but I like the Mahari Kra's version better, explains as follows. And the, apparently he's quoting a Midrash in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, which we don't know where the Midrash is, according to the Torah's Chaim footnote. It says, um, Ella, um, hold on just a second here. Yeah, okay, this is a larger context. I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> So from the time that God said, from the moment God said on Har Sinai, see, I have placed before you today the life and the good and the, the death and the bad. Uh, uh, and, you know, that whole message, choose life so that you and your offspring may live. So from the time God said that, So on on their own, the bad comes to those who do bad, and the good comes to those who do good. Consequently, we learn It is man who causes evil to himself and good for himself. Um, and Rashi says it even stronger uh, in, in his version of the Midrash. He says, Lo yatsa ra'a mipiv, That bad and good do not come from God's mouth. Bad comes to those who do bad, and good comes to those who do good. Lefikach, therefore, ma'yis onin, therefore, what should a person bemoan? Lama yisraim adam imlo al-chata'av. What can a person bemoan if not his own sins? So that really is very consistent with the Stoic idea of the good and the bad, which is that the good and the bad are are only brought about through us. And God is not, because the, the good and the bad have to do with how we use our free will, uh, then true good and bad does not come from God because that God does not violate our free will. It really comes from ourselves. Um, so then I was thinking about this and I was thinking, well, if that's, if that is the true good and the bad, so yeah, granted, we can apply premeditatio malorum uh, by reflecting on the tragedies and catastrophes that happened to the Jewish people and, and prepare ourselves for the future. But is that malorum if it's not us being bad? You know, so, you know, if, if it's, it, we're talking about their external bads, you know, external evils. So then I thought to myself, well, where does the Rambam quote this Pasuk uh, that we just read in Eicha? So he quotes it in Hilchus Tshuva, Perik He uh, Halacha Beis. And Halacha Beis is, is three paragraphs. So I first looked at the localized quote, okay, where he says, uh, so he's talking, the context is he's talking about how um, how he says, I'm going to read this in English because I don't want to take up too much time. Do not let this matter pass through your mind, which is said by the foolish, uh, the foolish Gentiles and the majority of the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the 
uncultured uh, Jews, that God decrees upon a person from the beginning of his creation to be a, a tzaddik or a rasha, to be righteous or wicked. The matter is not so. Rather, each and every person is fit to be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu, to be righteous like Moshe, or a rasha or evil like Yeravam, uh, or wise or foolish or merciful or cruel or... Um, uh, stingy or spendthrift, and same thing with all the other traits. And there's no one who, who compels him or or decrees upon him or draws him to one of the two extremes. Rather, he, by himself, from his mind, inclines to whichever path he chooses. This is what Yirmiyahu meant when he said, from the mouth of the, on high, of the one on a high does not come the bad and the good. Kolomar, meaning to say, Ein habore gozer adam. Lolios tov, lolios ra, that the creator does not decree upon a person to be good or bad. Uh, and the Kevin Shekinhu, and uh, and because this is the case, Nimta Zehachote who hifsid alatmo. Turns out that this sinner is the one who harmed himself. Lefikach, and for this reason, therefore, Roi lo livkos ulukonin almasha asa lenafsho ugamala ra'a. Therefore, it is proper for him to cry and lament what he did to his soul and how he 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 paid it with evil. Hushakasavakarav. That's why it's written afterwards. What might onin adamchai gever achatav? What can a person bemoan or mourn over? A man over what can a living person bemoan a man over his sins? Because of Amar, and then it goes back and says, "Hoyl urushesinu biadeno mitateno asinu kol haraos roi lanu lachzor b'tshuva v'laazov rishenu sharshus ata biadeno." It says that since uh, we have control and from our own minds uh, we do all of these evil things, it is fit for us to return into shuva and to abandon our wickedness because the control is within our hands now. This is what is written afterwards. Let us analyze our ways and investigate and return to Hashem. So so the Ramam applies our Pasuk. He says that when it says that um, that God is, uh, that, that the, the good and the bad don't come from the mouth of the, of the, the one on high, it, it doesn't just mean that you are the cause I mean, it does. It's not just saying like Rashi and the Mahari Kara that you you cause good to yourself and you cause evil to yourself. It's saying that God does not decree that you be a tzaddik or a rasha. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking I was thinking about you know again all these thoughts of the premeditati malorum applied to catastrophes, and I had read an excerpt last night uh, that one of my friends posted from Elie Wiesel's Night, and this is a very uh, I remember reading this actually in seventh grade. This this particular passage stood out to me, um, and so this is from Elie Wiesel, I guess in the 1982 edition, page 95. So this is a little bit of a story. I guess we're going a little overtime here, but what else are we doing other than doing chuva today, right? Um, in the wagon where the bread had fallen, a real battle had broken out. Men threw themselves on top of each other, stamping on each other, tearing at each other, biting each other. Wild beasts of prey with an animal ha- with animal hatred in their eyes. An extraordinary vitality had seized them, sharpening their teeth and nails. A crowd of workmen and curious spectators had collected along the train. They had probably never seen a train with such cargo. Soon, nearly everywhere, pieces of bread were being dropped into the wagons. The audience stared at these skeletons of men fighting one another to the death for a mouthful. A piece fell into our wagon. I decided that I would not move. Anyway, I knew that I would never have the strength to fight with a dozen savage men. Not far away, I noticed an old man dragging himself along on all fours. He was trying to disengage himself from the struggle. He held one hand to his heart. I thought at first he had received a blow in the chest. Then I understood. He had a bit of bread under his shirt. With remarkable speed, he drew it out and put it in his mouth. His eyes gleamed. A smile like a grimace lit up his dead face and immediately was extinguished. A shadow had just loomed up near him. The shadow threw itself upon him, fell to the ground, stunned with blows. The old man cried, Mayor, Mayor, my boy, don't you recognize me? I'm your father. You're hurting me. You're killing your father. I've got some bread for you, too, for you, too. He collapsed. His fist was still clenched around a small piece. He tried to carry it to his mouth. 
But the other one threw himself upon him and snatched it. The old man again whispered something, let out a rattle, and died amid the general indifference. His son searched him, took the bread, and began to devour it. He was not able to get very far. Two men had seen and hurled themselves upon him. Others joined in. When they withdrew, next to me were two corpses, side by side, the father and the son. I was 15 years old. That's the end of the excerpt. So I was thinking about this and how, you know, <laughs> the, you know, these, the, uh, this man and his son before the, the, the Holocaust would never dream that they would act towards each other in this way or act towards their fellow man in this way. And it was this catastrophe that, 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 you know, that pushed them into these horrible situations that caused, I can't say cause, that these situations that, that brought forth the free will decisions, to whatever extent we can say that, to, to, to become these savage animals. And then that's when I realized that I had just actually read that in the Ramam now, which is that he, when he says, God doesn't decree for you to be a tzaddik or a rasha, and when he attaches that to our pasuk and eicha, uh, that that good and bad don't come from the mouth of the Almighty. He says, rather, Kol Adam Adam Roy Russia Kiyaravam. Every each and every person can be a tzaddik like Moshe or a Russia like Yiravam, Ochacham Sachal, or or wise or foolish or merciful or cruel, etc. So, in other words, Ramam is not just dispelling a notion of astrology. It sounds like he's just saying, oh, don't think that like God makes you destined to be a tzaddik or a rasha. That's half the idea, okay? The other half of the idea is that you become what you choose. You have complete free will and your free will can cause you to become a tzaddik like Moshe or a rasha like Yeravan. You can become an evil animal. You can become a, a, a total... Russia engaging in the worst forms of brutality. And that's when it hit me and I shuddered. When I was thinking about premeditati malorum, thinking that what would happen, you know, we're preparing ourselves on Tishabov in case we get into these catastrophes. And I think to myself, oh, you know, what would happen if the Jews started getting round up and uh, and put into camps again? And I think about that as the malorum, as the evil. No, no, no. The evil is what happens to us when we're in those situations? What happens to our free will? And, and you know, our free will, those, to whatever extent we have the free will, I mean, I think we don't realize how precarious it is and how if we were thrown into situations like this, we would make these same free will decisions. And again, I'm not, I'm not judging people who are in the Holocaust, who were in the Holocaust and who became like this, like Elie Wiesel is describing. Obviously, we, we can't know how we're going to be when we're in those situations. But that's precisely the point here is that, that in thinking about what can happen to the Jewish people in external terms, we also think about what that makes us become. You know, what, what, what will we choose? Uh, when we are in situations like that, uh, and and will we be able to choose the good? And I think this is an important part of our tshuva. I mean, again, the Rama puts this in Hilchos tshuva for a reason, but this is an important part of our tshuva um, that we should be doing today. And you know, when we talk about all these things about you know, let's say Avodah Zarah, right, that destroyed the first base of Mikdash, you have that that Gemara about I think it was Menashe appeared to was it Rabbi Meir in a dream who had been, Rabbi Meir had been criticizing, uh, you know, talking about how Menashe led everyone astray in Avodah Zarah, and, and Menashe appeared to him in a dream and said, Rabbi, you know, Rabbi Meir, if you were alive in my time, then you would have clung to my coattails and called me Rabbi. I forgot the exact language. Um, but meaning, realizing that, you know, for as righteous as Rabbi Meir was, if he were in certain circumstances, then he would be doing the same thing as as the worst Russia, you know, or when we talk about how Sinas Chinam, you know, how baseless hatred destroyed the, uh, 
the uh, you know the the second base of Nick Dosh, and we uh, I saw a summary of an article saying that no one thinks that their hatred is baseless. You know, we define these averos and these these trends in a way that it does not apply to us, and we think ourselves immune to becoming like that. And part of the premeditatio malorum, or I should say, the premeditatio malorum verum, the the premeditation of the true evils that we should engage in on today, part of our tshuva, our national tshuva, is realizing what we can become. Um, and uh, and and especially if we are in these situations, and, and to thank God for the fact that we're we are in a situation that does lend itself right now to to bechira, to using our free will. We're not in these dire situations of catastrophe where we might find ourselves choosing to do things that are, you know, that are uh, are really. Um, uh, that we would no, never believe that we could do. And, uh, and I think this also helps us to, uh, think in a different way about our enemies, you know, uh, that there is focus in this on, uh, on this day on our enemies, on those who have oppressed the Jewish people. And, uh, I guess I, you know, I, I can't, again, I know I quote this a lot. I don't know if you've actually, actually quoted this in the, uh, in this podcast, but the, uh, this line from Alexander, uh, Solzhenitsyn's, uh, the Gulag Archipelago, and he says, uh, quote, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through the, every human heart. During the life of any heart, this line keeps changing place. Sometimes it is squeezed one way by exuberant evil, and sometimes it shifts to allow enough space for good to flourish. One and the same human being is, at various ages, under various circumstances, a totally different human being. At times he is close to being a devil, at times to sainthood. But his name doesn't change, and to that name we ascribe the whole lot, good and evil. And I think that keeping this in mind, that's the end of the quote there, keeping that in mind, especially on a day of national tshuva, when we realize how how bad we became as a nation historically and are prompted to reflect on on how evil and how 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 evil and distorted and warped we are now um and then thinking and that's talking about the past and then thinking into the future about we are in a period of relative peace right now and and what will happen to us if we find ourselves into a situation like the holocaust or the crusades or the destruction of the base of mikdash what will we become what can we become? What are we capable of becoming? And like the Raman says, only when we realize that we can be a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu and a Russia like Yeravim ben Navat, that we could be Nazis if we were put in the right situation. You know, we, and Jewish history is filled with cases where this has been this has been true, where we've acted in a brutal way to our fellow Jew. We could become Nazis and we could become tzaddikim. And uh, and and recognizing that changes the perspective on ourselves, on our fellow Jew, and on our on our enemies. And that's really the recognition of that God does not decree for a person to be good or bad. It's all on us. It's all our on on our free will. And that's why we say, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? That's why we say, um, and this is the concluding line of Eicha, really, which is Hashivinu Hashem Elecha Return us to you, Hashem, and we will return. Restore days like old, like days of old. And and the question is, how can we ask God to return us to Him and say that we will return if we return to Him? So what we recognize, I mean, Shuva is ultimately a matter of free will, right? But we do recognize that even though we have free will, there are circumstances that make the exercise of free will easier or more difficult. And we're asking Hashem to 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 foster the circumstances and facilitate our doing of 
tshuva out of free will. And that's really, you know, God cannot do tshuva for us. Only we can do tshuva with our own free will. But but we can turn to Hashem for help for uh, for facilitating those free will circumstances. So yeah, that is it for today's episode. Um, I again, I apologize for the slightly scattered nature of this and uh, the fact that it was longer than a normal episode. But again, uh, we we still have. I think even the people who get this in New York will have a, a few hours left uh, to reflect for uh, on Tishabov. That's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah content fund, my Venmo is at, net, at matt-schneeweiss and my Zelle and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, uh, or a day's worth or a week's worth of content, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewise at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.